you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand, and uh, I'll make sure that one of our guys provides you with one. Anybody need one? Follow along with us. We got plenty. Acts chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 14, read all the way down through verse 41. Listen to the word of the Lord this morning. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he, is, he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on this throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know that for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father God, many ask the question, are we in the last days? And we know that the answer is yes. We know that the last days began in Acts chapter 2. And we are still in those last days, Lord. And you are pouring out your spirit upon people. And you are saving people. And you are calling people to yourself. Lord God, I thank you for the truth that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and they shall receive the Holy Spirit. And I pray that if there's anyone here this, in this room this morning that has not called upon your name, that has not received salvation, has not received the Holy Spirit, I pray that today would be the day that that would happen for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all are going to have to forgive me. I've got to use the handheld today because we've had some uh, mic problems or some audio problems. So this is going to be hard for me because I can only go so far with this thing attached to me. So um, if I'm a little off today, it's because if I get jerked back, it's because I'm not used to preaching with a handheld mic. So is this about all the slack we've got here right there? All right. I don't know if y'all can give me any more because I I like to move around a bit if y'all haven't noticed. Um, we are in Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 14 today. So keep your Bibles open to the passage that Deemer read. We're not going to cover that whole passage of Scripture today. We're actually breaking down that passage into about four sermons because it is a big passage of Scripture. But um, I, we want to cover one part of it today, so keep your fingers right there. This is a series called He Reigns. Uh, we are studying through the book of Acts, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's a long book, so I don't know when we'll be done. Uh, but that's okay. We'll take breaks here or there to do some other series and stuff. But we're going to go through the book of Acts. It's an important book for any church uh, to go through. And today's title of today's message, if I can, if this is working back there, is The Gospel, God's Plan from the Beginning. And this is part one. What we see here in the, in the book of Acts are the first of a lot of things. Uh, the first of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts. The, the first... Of, um, of the beginning of the church, the first church. And what Deemer just read for us is the first Christian sermon. The first Christian sermon. So you're actually going to hear two sermons today. You just heard Peter's, and now I'm going to preach on Peter's sermon. So uh, this is the first sermon that was given as part of the church. Now Jesus preached sermons. You see sermons in the Old Testament, but this is the first Christian sermon as far as the sermon that's part of the body of Christ, the church. You want me to use this other one? All right. Hello? All right. Turn it on. Can I like, tape, duct tape this to my shirt or something? This is so weird. All right. This will work. That sounds better, too, for whatever reason. All right. <laughs> First of all, I just want to give us some observations from this passage, and then we'll get into the meat of it. But um, I want you to notice, first of all, at the very beginning of this passage, when, when Peter stands up, it says, But, but Peter, standing with the eleven... This is very important because there's an establishment here in Acts of apostolic authority. There are these 12 men. Remember in Acts chapter um, 1, at the end of Acts chapter 1, they add another apostle because Judas had forsaken Christ and 
And now they had to add another apostle. And this was important. They were these witnesses. They were especially, they were witnesses, eyewitnesses of Jesus' ministry. And they were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And they had authority to take doctrine to the church. And this is the apostolic foundation. And so today we don't have apostles anymore. Um, certainly not in the sense of the apostles in the New Testament. If you see someone with the title apostle today, they're viewing that word very differently than the way it's meant here in this passage. But the apostles gave us the word, the Bible, the New Testament, and therefore we still have apostolic authority in the form of the New Testament. But So we see here Peter standing up with the eleven. He is an authority. He's a witness. And it says he lifted up his voice. And that, uh, that verb for lifting up one's voice, it's meant... Uh, it's done, the, the sense of that is it's done with gravity and with seriousness. With gravity and with seriousness. I, I find it interesting that the first Christian sermon is serious. Now, I, I like, I'll, I'll crack a joke in a sermon every now and then, and I like to do illustrations, and I want us to enjoy. But preaching, for the most part, is a very serious matter. And when preaching becomes a stand-up comedy routine, or when preaching becomes just a bunch of really cool stories, it's no longer preaching. What Peter does here is he's going to come and he's going to proclaim the gospel in a serious way. And he wants them to know that this is a, this, there, is, there is gravity here to what he's about to bring to them. And what he's doing here is basically what he says later in 1 Peter. Peter himself would later say in 1 Peter 3, verses 14 through 15, he said, But if any of you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who gives, who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So there's been this little bit of a scorning that's come from the crowd. The crowd has heard the Holy Spirit has come in and they're speaking in tongues. And, and there's some of the people that are saying, what does this mean? I think that's the 3,000 that are saved at the end because they're wanting to know, what is this? Explain this to me, Peter. Explain this to us. What's happening here? But there are others who are saying they're filled with new wine. In other words, there's a bunch of drunk people up there. And so there's these people who are out there mocking them, and Peter realizes there's other people saying, explain this to me, give a reason for this, and he takes the opportunity to give a reason for the hope that's in him and share the gospel with these people. He says, give ear to my words. This is boldness. Give ear to my words. Now, this is the same guy who, not very long before this, okay, 40 days or 50 days or so before this, there was a little servant girl who came up and asked him, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And he swore that he wasn't and did it three times and ended up denying the Lord Jesus, who was scared to death of a little servant girl who comes up and says, hey, do you belong to that guy? And now there's thousands of people out there, and he's standing up with boldness. What's the difference? The difference is what we preached on last week. And that is now Peter has the presence of God himself in his heart, the Holy Spirit, to give him the boldness to be the pastor, the preacher, uh, the servant of Christ that God wants him to be. The Spirit is at work here. The Spirit must be in work, in work in, in us too if we're going to be First Peter chapter 3, 15 type people who are willing to be bold and to share uh, our faith in boldness and give reason for the hope that we have. Now, this sermon here that Peter gives us has three parts. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I've always said that I kind of Baptists always just assume that every sermon has three points, 
I think this is the best, this, this is the best example, right? So I'm convinced Peter was a Baptist, and he tells us to repent and be baptized later. So some days you're glad to be a Baptist. I was at First Baptist Grayson today, and they had this big breakfast, right? I'm like, wow, and I'm in a picnic today. I'm eating a lot today, and we're baptizing people. That's awesome, all right? I'm glad to be a Baptist someday, and it's uh, most days, all right? But here, Peter has a three-point sermon, basically. The first point is he's going to defend what these people are seeing and give an explanation from Scripture as to what's going on here. And that's what we're going to study today. Peter's explanation from the book of Joel, what's happening here. I'm going to explain what you're seeing, everybody. And then Peter goes into a section where he gives a gospel presentation and explains who Christ is, and he defends this with Scripture as well. And then finally at the end, there's a call to repentance. There's a response that he calls the people to. Now today we're only going to look at the first part of this sermon We'll look at the other parts in the next few weeks. So let's get into the meat of what Peter's talking about here. Remember, these people think that, that, um, that the disciples are drunk, and, and Peter stands up and he says, Hey, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. If you're wondering what the third hour of the day is, it's 9 o'clock. Basically, he's saying people don't get drunk this early. Okay, It's too early in the morning to, to be drinking. So, you know, these people, are they're not drunk. And... But he says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he's going to give a scriptural foundation for what they're seeing happen here. And specifically, it's from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. You see, the whole New Testament, the whole New Testament is filled with references back to the Old Testament because God has always been God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's story has always been consistent. And God's gospel plan has always been the same. Sometimes people look at the Old Testament. Uh, I heard Vody Bauckham once say, the, the God of the left side of the book doesn't seem like the same God as the right side of the book sometimes. But if you look at it carefully, and if you study it closely, and if you look at the New Testament, you'll see that they're always referring back to the Old Testament because God's story has been the same all along. So I was thinking of an illustration. There's some kids out there that I've already given some stuff to to help me here this morning. But, you know, I was thinking about this book. It's a Lilo and Stitch book. I guess it's Emma Cates and... It says home stinky home, but that's not important. But basically, we had it in the car the other day, and Heather was reading it, trying to read it to Emma Kate in the back seat, and all of a sudden, she reads it, and it just didn't make sense. It went from one thing she said, like they're coming to the climax of the story, and all of a sudden, it's the ending. And I'm like, what's up with that? That's a really bad story, whoever wrote that. And basically, the result was, the reason was because, all right, there was some pages missing, all right? There was a whole section of the story, and it didn't make sense because there were pages missing. And so what Peter's kind of doing here is the people here that are hearing Peter, they're hearing him say these things, they, they know their Old Testament. They know that there's the promised Messiah that's coming. They've heard of this Jesus guy who's been in town. They've heard of what happened just 50 days before that he had been crucified. Here they are, and, and Peter's putting the pieces back together for him. Basically, uh, I think Emma Kate pulled those out of the back seat and gave them to us. And, you know, there's the rest of the story, and now you understand it. It makes sense, and you see the picture. You see the whole picture. You see what God's doing in these last days, because this is the last chapter of God's story. So um, what Peter's doing is putting the puzzle pieces together for people by using the Old Testament. So I've got a story that I wrote this morning real quickly as I was trying to come up with an illustration. A story that I wrote this morning, and, and, and I've broken it into four parts. And there's four kids that have part of that story out there. So come on up here real quick because I can't go to you today. Come on up here real quick if you've got part of the story. I can? Well, I don't want to. All right, so come on up here if you've got part of the, the four parts of the story. There should be four of you. Right, okay. 
All right, so I'm going to have you read your different parts. I don't know what order they're in, so I'm going to have you read yours. Ready? As beautiful as can be one day. As beautiful as can be one day. Okay. There once lived a young princess who was. There once lived a princess who was. And what's yours? The handsome prince showed up just in time to rescue her. Okay, and, and what's yours? Can, can you read You don't know how to read it? I'll help you, okay? I didn't think about that when I handed these things out. All right. Uh, an ugly, evil dragon came and stole her away. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a grand total of, of one minute to put the story together. Less than that, 30 seconds. Get the, put the story together in the right order here. The princess didn't steal the dragon, guys. Okay, there you go. All right, put that up here. All right. Okay, there once lived a young princess who was as beautiful as can be. One day an ugly, evil dragon came and stole her away, but the handsome prince showed up just in time to rescue her. Okay? So you put the story together. I purposely cut the story up. It kind of looked like puzzle pieces because what Peter's doing is saying, hey, guys, this is the end of the story. I'm about to tell you what God's doing and how it all comes together. Okay? So I want you guys to have a seat, if you would. And God doesn't change his mind. And God's story makes sense. Okay? Okay? Um, you know, you could switch this stuff around. You could say there once lived a young princess who was an ugly, evil dragon. Came and stole her away. But once the handsome prince showed up as beautiful as can be. You know, and that just wouldn't make as much sense, would it? Okay, it just doesn't sound right. And so there are people here, they're hearing Peter, and he's about to tell them how to put this all together. And so he goes back to the book of Joel, to this passage <clears throat> that he quotes here. And there's some things I want us to observe from this. First of all, God's plan, let's see if I can bring it up, or y'all just do it for me back there. God's plan to redeem mankind has always been the same. God's plan to redeem mankind has always been the same. God is utterly consistent. Scripture is utterly consistent. God's plan has always been the same. From the foundation of the world, Jesus was already slain. In other words, the plan was already in place, and God doesn't change his plans. You know, sometimes, I, because I used to be in the video business, I know how you kind of put together videos sometimes, and, uh, and I was always into, uh, like, some of these Hollywood stories, and you watch on the DVDs, the little extras, and sometimes there'll be a documentary there and how it all came together. And a lot of times in Hollywood, they'll go back and they'll reshoot something. Or they'll change the ending. So sometimes what they'll do is they'll t go to a focus group and they'll, they'll show the movie to a group of who they think is going to be their target audience. And depending on the response they get, they may go back and totally rewrite a portion of the script or rewrite the ending. It happens all the time in Hollywood. And they'll, they'll gather the actors back, they'll go back to the same set, and they'll reshoot it and, and get the ending just right. But, you know, that's not the way God had his, his all together. He wasn't waiting to see what, how we would respond. He wasn't waiting to see how things would turn out. He had a plan from the beginning, and the end was already set. There's no rewrites for God. There's no revisiting the script to see if he likes it again. He's already set it. It's perfect, and it gives him great glory exactly the way it is set. Now, the Old Testament saints may not have fully understood exactly how all of it was going to happen. Okay, they may have been looking at the story, trying to put together the puzzles. And so they weren't fully understanding exactly how it was going to happen, but they were looking forward to God's Messiah and a provision for sin. They were looking forward to that in faith. And then Jesus came in the New Testament. The Messiah comes, dies for our sins, rises again, and now we 
okay, being people of the last days, now look back in faith towards what Christ did. We don't physically see Christ with us. We can't physically touch his hands like Thomas did. But we look back in faith, in the faith, having faith in Christ, and we're saved by his grace through faith alone. So we look back in faith. And in the Old Testament, they look forward in faith to what God was going to provide and that the Messiah would come. But it's been utterly consistent. It's always been the same. Now look at verse 17. He says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So the next thing I want us to see is that God's plan to redeem mankind is in its final stage. It's in its final stage. Or to go back to the story analogy, it's in its final chapter. Or if it's a play, it's in its final act. In other words, these are the last days. Now, a lot of people, when they think of last days, I think because of our modern fascination with uh, Revelation in particular and, and, and books like, um, what are they called? Uh, left Behind, thank you. I left them behind on the shelf. I didn't read them, okay? Honestly, I, I, had, I knew enough about it that I didn't, it wasn't consistent totally with my view of the end times. And, and it was a lot of it was, was, was seems to be uh, kind of this um, hysteria with, with what I call newspaper eschatology. And just trying to read into every little thing. You know what? God's going to wrap it all up. And we do need to be looking for the signs. But you know what? Sometimes we can get over, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Wrapped up into that. That we miss what he wants us to be doing right now. But anyway, a lot of people think the end times are thinking, well, you know, that's when the Antichrist comes. And however it all comes, you know, Armageddon and all that. That's end times. No, we are in the end times. The end times, as Deemer said earlier, were inaugurated after Jesus came to set up his kingdom. And he came, he died, he rose again and set up his kingdom, and we are now, Acts is the beginning of the last days. So we are in the final stage. We are in the final chapter. Okay, and the, the Bible's consistent about this. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Paul says this, Now these things happen to them as an example, talking about uh, past generations and our Old Testament saints, as an example, by, but they were written down for our instruction on whom? The end of the ages has come. So we're reading back, looking at these Old Testament saints, looking at the Scriptures so that we can grow and we can learn about God because we are in the end of the ages. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son whom he has appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. So in the past, in the past we've had all the prophets in the Old Testament, now these last days God has spoken to us through his Son. And how has he spoken through his Son? The words of Jesus have been given, the, the apostles have been given the authority to bring us the words of Christ. And so he has spoken through his Son. First Peter 1.20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. And you could quote a bunch of other verses, but we are in the last times. These are the last days. Okay? But the last days haven't come exactly as everyone was expecting. So God's story was consistent, but I think some people viewed the last days and even viewed today the last days as a little bit surprising the way God has decided to do it. That's why so many Jews missed it. Because they were expecting the Messiah to come and to set up an earthly kingdom right away. That's the last days. That's how they understood it. This prophecy in Joel, that's the way they understood it. Jesus is going to come, last days, boom, spirit, wow, all over. But, Jesus, but God's final act 
isn't quite written the way many of us would have written it. These are the last days, but they're only partially completed. And they're only partially fulfilled. And we see this in Scripture as well. Let me just give you some examples of of partial fulfillment, okay? There was a promise in the Old Testament that there would be peace. And so we are in the last days, and there is peace in the hearts of all those who've submitted their life to Christ. But still to come, there will be peace on all the earth eventually. So, example, there's been the promise of joy. So now in the hearts of the redeemed right now, there is joy for all those who belong to Christ. But there will be a day to come when joy will fill all the earth because we'll be in the presence of God. There is a promise that God will rule, and he does rule. He rules in the hearts. The kingdom is in the hearts of his people. But there will be to come a rule over all the earth, and there will be no more sin. So it is here, and it is coming. It is now, and it is still to come. That's the the twofold nature of these last days. And a careful reading of the Old Testament shows that. Isaiah 53, for example, predicts that the Messiah would come and suffer and die. Isaiah chapter 9, for example, predicts that the Messiah would be glorified and he would judge the world. So both were predicted in the Old Testament. And in these last days, we have a partial fulfillment. And one day it will be fully realized. Even in Peter's day. Okay, Peter's the one giving the sermon here. Later in Second Peter, as Peter's older, uh, he starts to get some pressure, I think, from some of the uh, uh, the, from people and from maybe from some of the churches. And people were asking, they were saying things like this. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So people were complaining. Where, where's, when's this going to happen? And Peter said, you know what? God doesn't always work the way we work. He says a few verses later, don't overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. In other words, God's the author, author of salvation. We read that, or we sang that earlier. God's the author. He's written the final chapter. You know what? And for him, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. God exists outside of time. He's written it. He'll bring it to fulfillment when he's ready. But we are in the last days. We are. And we are to be doing the things that God calls us to do as people who live in the last days. So, with those two statements, let me take us to a couple more statements. The thing I want us to see is that this final stage of God's redemptive plan is now is now marked by a few things. First thing I want us to see this 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 current era that we live in is marked by is first of all a new movement of God's spirit. A new movement of God's spirit. Verse 17, and in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then in verse 18, I will pour out my spirit. Now, when something is poured out, if I pour out Kool-Aid, I'm not going to pour it out onto the floor or onto the counter. I'm going to pour it out into a vessel. So God's spirit is poured out. And so the image here is that there's a new movement of God's spirit and that people will receive and have the spirit indwelling in them, be filled with the spirit, but have the spirit in them, that we will be vessels of God's spirit. Up until this point, people hadn't been vessels of God's Spirit. Perhaps we talked about this last week. Perhaps God's Spirit was on them in a special way, or God had a special move, or there was a special uh, thing that would happen led by the Spirit. But now, in Acts chapter 2, there's an inauguration of a new era, and now we become vessels of God's Spirit. And so he's pouring out his Spirit into people. He pours out his Spirit into all who call upon his name to be saved. 
So we have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. Like I said earlier, this is what makes Peter get up and preach like he did. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 21 says, And it is God who establishes us with Christ and who has anointed us. And the verse goes on to say, And he has filled us with the Spirit okay, as a seal, a seal, a guarantee that we belong to him. So that's one of the things that marks this new era. And the next thing is that there's a new definition of what it means to be God's people. Look at verse 17 and 18 again. And, it, and in the last days, God declares that I will pour out my spirit. What does he say? On all flesh, on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. All flesh. What does he mean by all flesh? He means all kinds of people, all races, all nations, all people. Now, God had operated in the Old Testament where he had chosen a nation of people and the nation of Israel. But now the Messiah has come and God's people are no longer defined by natural birth into a nation of Israel, but by spiritual birth into a spiritual Israel. And so God has redefined, if you will, what it means to be part of his people. But not only nationality, nationality is not the only barrier that's overcome in these verses. Look at what he says here. There's no longer a gender barrier, sons and daughters. There's no longer an age barrier, young men and old men. There's no longer a class barrier, male servants and female servants. You see, in the Old Testament, people had to go to the priest to be the interceder between them and God. They had to go to the priest to hear from God. No longer. Now Christ is our interceder and his intercessor and his spirit lives within us and therefore all those barriers have been brought down. Gender barriers have been brought down. Age barriers have been brought down. Class barriers have been brought down. This is a new era where barriers are obliterated by the gospel message. And it's also a new era when there's evidence of God's work in our hearts. Now, I want you to notice the things that these people, that Joel prophesies that they'll be doing. It says that they will, these people will prophesy, they'll dream dreams, okay, and um, they'll have visions. So prophecy, dreams, and visions. And I think the main point Peter wants us to see here is that the Spirit is in work, at work in all of his people. In other words, all people who've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have the Spirit working in them. It's it's not just a prophet that can speak on God's behalf anymore. It's not just a a priest who can intercede. It's that we all have God's Spirit within us now and God doing our work, and we're all called to be ministers, young and old. Whether you're Olivia's age or you're—I don't need to pick out an old— someone else's age in this room, all right? That was—put myself on the spot there, didn't I? It doesn't matter if you're female or male. God's Spirit is moving, and we're all called to do a ministry. We're all called to do a ministry. Now, now here's the question. What is this prophecy and these dreams and these visions? Okay? Let me make it very clear. There is no new infallible revelations and prophecies. In other words, if Mark comes to me and says, Steve, I've got a word of prophecy this morning, it is not New Testament quality. All right? He may have a word of prophecy to bring this morning, but there's no addition to the New Testament, to the Bible. The Bible is our only infallible guide. When the apostles died, the canon was sealed. And we have the authoritative 
Word of God. There's no new infallible revelations, okay? Matter of fact, all prophecies, and I'll talk a little bit what this prophecy might be, now have to be judged in light of this. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, 37 and 38, Paul speaking, he says, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. In other words, if you think you are a prophet, you better look at what Paul has written here as an apostle and make sure it lines up. So, what is this prophecy that we're seeing here? I want us to make sure we know that it's different than the infallible scriptures, and it's different than the infallible prophecies given by Old Testament prophets. So it's not the same thing. It's not like, you know, we've got a bunch of uh, Isaiah's walking around or, or Elijah's. or that's not, that's not the case anymore. Okay, The canon is sealed now, but there is something here. What is this, this prophecy? Well, I believe, and uh, let me give you kind of a, a word that, that, how, that I am borrowing really from another pastor, is that these, this prophecy here is, is spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained, Bible-rooted, yet fallible speech. Spirit-sustained, spirit-prompted, Bible-rooted, yet fallible speech. Let me compare it to something. I think it's the best way to help us understand it. Okay? I, I do believe that there's a usefulness for prophecy in the church today, but it's not authoritative. All right? Let me just compare it to teaching. And again, I'm borrowing this. I, this was really helpful for me. Let's compare it to teaching. Would anybody say that my preaching or teaching is infallible? No. I hope not. Or Deemers. Or Rogers. Or anybody's. Or pick your favorite pastor that you like to listen to on the line or whatever. Okay, nobody's teaching and preaching is infallible. But it's still useful. And it's still authoritative so much as how far it is connected to and rooted in God's Word. So I'll get up here and I'll preach and I'll teach. And so long as I'm sticking to this, okay, there's authority in that, but it's still not infallible. But it's useful to you. You guys don't leave here and go, I'm not going to listen to a word he says because, you know, he's fallible. You, hopefully there is usefulness to it, to what I'm preaching and what I'm teaching, because it's rooted in, it's spirit-prompted, it's spirit-sustained, it's Bible-rooted, yet it's fallible. So it does not have authority unless it's derived from Scripture. So my preaching and my teaching has derivative authority, but not intrinsic authority. So Deemer's not authoritative because he's Deemer. Okay, and we say, everybody go to Deemer's class because he's Deemer. We go, go to Deemer's class because he's teaching you the Word of God. So the authority is, is, is uh, derivative from the Word, not intrinsic. So I'm going to take that same principle and apply it to prophecy. So what is prophecy? This is what I believe. I believe that prophecy... Excuse me. That the prophetic that we're talking about here, it could fit into telling someone something, okay, that God has spiritually brought to mind for the edification of that person and the exaltation of Christ. I'm not going to say that all prophecy has ceased, and it's not necessarily predicting the future. I've had prophecies said over me a couple of times, different things. And, and the difficulty is, is that there's a lot of false prophets out there. I hurt my knee in the summer of 1992 was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to play soccer because I busted it up pretty bad. And I had a neighbor come over, um, and he laid his hands on my knee and prophesied that it would be healed by the next morning. And it didn't happen. He was a false prophet. Okay, that's, that's not the type of prophecy I'm talking about here. I think that's, that's not real prophecy. I've had other people come into my life 
before I was ever called into full-time ministry, lay their hands on me and say, you know what? I believe that the Spirit of God is on you in a way that you need to be teaching the Word of God. And they prophesy that over me. Okay, that is a different type of prophecy. That's a spiritual, uh, uh, spirit-sensed uh, feeling that you have about someone, and you're, you're, you're saying something into their life to edify them and to exalt Christ. Okay, and it's hard to discern the, the false prophecies from the true prophecies. But I don't think we can go to a degree to say that prophecy no longer s- exists. Matter of fact, this verse scares me to death. Okay, First uh, Thessalonians five nineteen to 22 says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of, form of evil. So don't, don't, don't push prophecy away from the church, but test it. And how do we test it? We test it through the scriptures. Okay, so there's a lot of false prophecy out there today. But I do think there's a place for edifying words that we say to one another. They're in the form of prophetic words, okay, that we, we speak into someone's life, something that we see. And so I believe that's the type of spirit work that God does in his people, a spirit work, and, uh, and that that's a sign one of the signs that God is at work in these last days is that he's working in the hearts of every single one of his people. And we test everything because all of us are fallible. We perceive things fallibly. Maybe I didn't perceive really what God was trying to tell me there because I'm fallible. We communicate things fallibly. Okay? And so we're not perfect. We're not perfect. So that's why we test everything. But there's obviously something going on here. There's a move of God's people. And the point is here that all people who belong to God now have the Spirit and therefore do not rely on some priesthood or prophet to communicate for them with God. They now have the Holy Spirit and they have the Word of God, the authoritative Word of God's apostles, of Christ's apostles, to guide us. So that's what's going on now. The Spirit is moving in special ways. And the next thing I want us to see is that this final stage of God's redemptive plan. Go ahead and move to the next slide. This final stage of God's redemptive plan is marked in the days to come by what? By a great and terrifying day of Jesus' return. So even in this prophecy here in Joel, we see the things that are happening now, and we see the things that are happening to come. The great and terrifying day of Jesus' return. Acts chapter 2, verse 19. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. The reason I use terrifying is because in the Greek here, they're using the word magnificent, but if you go back to the Hebrew from the Old Testament, this Joel passage, the Hebrew word there that the, that the Greeks translated to, to magnificent was the word terrifying. Jesus is coming back. And it's going to be a great day for those who have confessed him as Lord and have bowed their knee. What a great and glorious day. There'll be amazing signs and amazing wonders that are happening. But for those who have not bowed the knee, it's a terrifying day. All of a sudden, that God who they've pushed away all their life comes in power and in might. And guess what? Their knee will bow too. But their knee will hit the ground forcefully because God forced their knee to hit the ground. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. And my friends, don't you want to be on the knees that 
bowed willingly? Or do you want to be on the knees that are knocked down on that great and terrifying day? This day that Jesus comes back will be the day that all this stuff will finally be fulfilled. That this last days will finally come to a conclusion and the story will have its great ending. But after Peter says that, and after Joel has said that, they come back to one of the most glorious phrases in all of Scripture. Read what it says in Acts chapter 2, <coughs> excuse me, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we come back to my very first point. Joel wrote it. Peter's preaching it. God's plan to save mankind, to redeem mankind, has always been the same. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, who cries out in faith, God, save me. I cannot save myself. I am a sinner. I have fallen way short of your glory. And so, God, I need an intercessor. I need someone. I need your Messiah. I need a forgiveness of sins that I cannot do on my own that these Old Testament sacrifices can't accomplish, that our New Testament uh, lifestyles can't accomplish. I need a Savior. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord today and then will be saved because God's plan has always been the same. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I want to leave us with a challenge. There's only one Lord. When, G, when Peter calls, says the Lord, he's referring to Jesus. And he's equating Jesus with God because Jesus is God. So call upon the name of Jesus. And my challenge for us here is I look out in this room and I know most of you. And I see most of you and I think I know your spiritual condition, but I don't. Because you know what? I've been faked out a lot. You can get faked out real easy by people. And so I can look at you, and you may be faking me out. Wow, what a lifestyle they're living, and what a Christian they are. But God knows your heart. And the question this morning is, have you bowed your knee willingly before him? And have you called upon his name? Because, guys, we are in the final days, and I don't know when the final page of the final days is going to come. It could happen before our baptisms this afternoon, okay? could happen hopefully not before the picnic all right it could happen any time now it could happen and do we understand that that day is going to be great and terrible and if we do and if we are have already confessed christ as our lord my goodness shouldn't we be sharing our faith and what conviction i've come on recently most of you guys know that that my brother is not walking with the lord and uh, and I had just kind of given up on him. But he called me this past week and he says, Steve, can I start talking to you every Monday? And I want to start talking about church stuff. And uh, that makes me excited. But it also makes me guilty because I've not been the one making calls to him to say, Tim, let's talk about stuff. I'm glad that he's calling me. I suffer so bad at doing this and really getting out there and understanding that this is a great and terrible day that's coming. 
And we, got, we all have friends or family members that are going to face the terrible side. And we sit in comfort because we're on the great side. So my challenge to all of us this morning is to understand that we don't know. This is the final stage. Let us be people who go out and share our faith. Let us be people on fire about this gospel story. And let us look into our own hearts and make sure, make sure we're awaiting that day with joy. That we're on the great side of the things that are going to happen and not the terrible. So I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes right now. Uh, Mark, I want to keep us, try to keep us on schedule. Will you just do one song? I know we've got to collect the offering and, and put all the, so here's what we're going to do. It's going to be very different. All of our offering people, stay in your seats, okay? D, don't have a, don't freak out, man. Stay in your seat, all right? After, when, when Mark gets up to lead us in our last song, I want you to bring your prayer request up here. And if you would, just leave your offering in there as well, okay? I'm not putting pressure on everybody. I'm not going to look and see who's not stepping up to the front. We used to do our offering up front, so, so it's fine. But just leave your offering in there as well. Let's make this one worship element that we're doing here. Leave your prayer request. I challenge you again, put prayer requests in there for, for lost people. Okay, I've got a lot of them in my house, okay? And, and, and just leave your offering in there this morning if God has placed that upon your heart to do. So, Mark, come on up here and begin to lead us. I'm going to say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you this morning for uh, the work you're doing at Harbin's and the work you're doing in my own heart. God, um, as Roger quoted to me this week from one of C.S. Lewis's books, uh, that, that you are not a tame lion, Lord. You're not a tame lion. And I, I think about that and I think, wow. So oftentimes I think we our view of God is that he's some cuddly, that you're some cuddly kitty cat when in reality you're a fierce lion but you're a loving lion and just like the books in the narnia series show us you're a lion who hugs and embraces and welcomes all those who will call upon your name but you're a lion with a fierce wrath who cannot leave sin unchecked but must bring judgment against sin or else you wouldn't be just and so god there's a judgment coming there's a day of the lord where every deed will be judged, including ours. So, Father, I thank you that, that, that I'll stand there on that judgment day. I'll stand there on that judgment day, and, and, and all my sins will be laid to bear. Everything I've ever done, small or large, and that as that case against my soul is presented, that my Lord and Savior will stand up and show the palms of his hand and say, I've paid for all of that. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. To God, I know there's people, perhaps in this very room, who on that day when that case is laid out against them, there will be no one that can stand up and say they paid for those sins. Instead, that person will say, well, I tried to do what was right. And God will say, you will say, Lord, that one sin was sufficient to separate them from eternity, for an eternity from you. So, God, I pray that we would understand the gravity of the great and terrible day. God, if we really understand that gravity, we can't just sit around in our comfortable seats, in our comfortable homes, and just think that, well, everything will turn out okay. I don't have to share anything. So God, help us to understand the gravity of the situation, but also let us rest in the comfort that you're a sovereign God who wrote the beginning, the middle, 
in the end of this story. You already know all those who belong to you. You knew them before the beginning of the world. So that's not our job is to figure out who's saved and who's not. Our job is to do Acts 1-8 and to go proclaim the gospel to all nations and then let you do your work. So God, we're here in Harbin's. God, we've neglected evangelism this summer. We confess that to you, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you move in our spirits in a new way. Fill us, Lord. Make us prophets. Give us visions of what you're going to do. Give us dreams of what can be accomplished. Let us rely on your Holy Scripture to guide us and not our own subjective feelings. So we love you this morning. We pray that you'd help us as we sing. As we give our offerings and bring our prayer requests, Lord, we want to do this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand, if you would, as Mark leads us in this one, in one closing song.